can uh, know how nervous you get playing a piano in front of all of these people. It's one thing to get up and sing. It's a whole other thing to have to get up and play an instrument. I mean, all of those fingers working together. We have to worry about one instrument working. They have to worry about 10 of them. So great job tonight. That was wonderful. All right, Brother Josh. <clears throat>
switch here. All right, let me, I'm going to say it one more time. Let me uh, put it on mute, put it on mute, and then let me flip it on. That way I don't have to worry about if I slip off to the restroom, I have to worry about somebody listening. All right? I'm in full control that way. You wouldn't believe how many times I've gotten nervous with this thing on. I don't like carrying it on. I like taking it off before I leave here. And uh, I like it in the mute position. No, see. And then you But it, you got it? Okay, so that's how it works. All right, Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, all right? Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. I'm glad you're here tonight. And um, I'm, I, I, I'm excited about uh, just this this thought, this uh, little portion of the series that we've been addressing and dealing with this present evil world, and, and uh, we're going to jump right into some new material here very soon, but let me just read this verse. Of course, this is kind of our kickoff point. It's our text verse, if you will, Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. The Bible says, who gave himself for our sins, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. And so right off the bat, we have utilized Galatians 1-4 to kind of focus on this thought, this present evil world. Now along the way, we addressed a number of things. We talked about the fact that when the world crucified God's Son, they refused to accept the rule of God. And when they did that, uh, and when they chose Barabbas over Christ in that sense, they basically once again exalted Satan again, putting him to a position of the God of this world, reinforcing the idea that once again he's in charge. When we could have obeyed the Lord, when we could have followed Jesus Christ, we chose to obey and follow uh, the devil, if you will. And so the God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 4, is blinding the minds of them that don't believe. And boy, what a mess he's put the world in. So Satan's objective, we heard and learned from the Word of God, his goal, if you will, has always, always been to be like God. And uh, in order to do that, we know that um, he's going to ultimately place somebody in charge during the tribulation period, a man by the name of the Antichrist, as he's well known in the Scriptures. And uh, he's going to incarnate himself in this person, the Antichrist. And at that point, he's going to sit on the throne in the temple of God, and he's going to go ahead and he's going to require worship as God. He wants to be worshiped as God. And um, people on the earth will worship him. And it's just a, a mess. Now, how's he going to accomplish this? How in the world does Satan deceive the world? How does he cause us to fall into his trap so easily? Well, we mentioned that, uh, first of all, he uses knowledge. And um, the knowledge that Satan shares... Uh, undermines God's love. We know that. It, it sparks rebellion. It, it brings destruction to both our planet and it brings destruction to the inhabitants of the planet. So we notice that he uses knowledge and he continues to use knowledge to this day. We said also that not only does he use knowledge, but he also uses deception. And so we started speaking about this issue of deception and we realized that Satan's a liar. And according to John 8, he's the father of it as well. And... Um, being the father of all lies, he is the deceiver of the world. He raises false hopes and he deludes the minds of mankind. And we said last week, and this is where we ended, he deludes the minds of mankind by the deceitfulness of riches. And so we spent some time in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we just kind of considered how 
finances and how material things and how money has kind of, if we're, not, if we're honest, has gripped us all. Has, it plays a role in all of our lives and sometimes far too great a role. And it can and it will at times corrupt and even uh, sidetrack the believer. And so we need to be extremely careful because it can affect our faith in a very negative way. So Satan's good at deceiving and he uses the deceitfulness of riches. What else does he use? In, in this idea here, um, we're talking about deception. Um, he deludes the minds of mankind by the deceitfulness of sin. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. The deceitfulness of sin. Again, he is the deceiver of the world, and he raises false hopes. And he is a liar, so you can never believe a thing he has to say. But again, he will delude the minds of mankind through the deceitfulness of riches, and also now, as we're going to see, through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3.13. The Bible says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 12.1. So we know that there is this deceitfulness of sin lest any of you be hardened through. Boy, we need to be exhorted daily, the Bible says. We need to be exhorted daily today, he says. Why? Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The fact is, is that what he's implying, I guess, and what it seems to say to me is, is that we are all so prone to sin that we need exhorted and encouraged not to be. We need somebody to come alongside and encourage us to do right and to do good. Or we'll be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. Sin will harden our hearts too. Look in Hebrews 12.1. He says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, that word beset is an interesting word. It means to press on all sides. So as to perplex. To press on all sides as, so as to perplex. It goes on to say to entangle, so as to render escape difficult or impossible. So basically what it seems to say is that that word beset has to do with trapping us and binding us. And he says in this particular passage, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily trap us or bind us. And boy, let me tell you, sin will do just that, won't it? Man, I'll tell you, sin will do that. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, I guess when you consider that the idea and the goal is to run a race, it even makes this idea of being rendered, uh, escape being rendered uh, difficult or impossible, even worse. I mean, it's almost as if somebody's tied you up at the starting line. Or through the midst of the race, they kind of apprehended you, and now they hold you back and keep you from participating in the race. That's exactly what sin does in our life. It keeps us from participating in the race. It keeps us from being uh, fulfilling our God-given role and purpose for existing in the Christian life. Boy, sin will always beset you. It will always beset me. 
And you say, I don't understand why. I think I can handle it. No, you can't because the Bible says you can't. The Bible says it will beset all of us. None of us is any more strong than the next when it comes to sin. Sin will always win when it comes to us. The only one and the only way that we can escape its binding tendency or its grip on our life is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. So the moment you and I think we can handle sin, as they used to say, we're suckers. We just got our lunch ate. They just ate our lunch. We're done. We're, it's finished. It's over. Take heed lest ye fall, the Bible says. Boy, you better be careful when it comes to that. We need to keep an open mind to God's word and say, hey, man, I'll tell you what, that sin will beset me. I better be careful. So the devil, he's good at what he does. He's a deceiver, and that's what he does. He's good at deception, and he will delude the minds of mankind through the deceitfulness of riches. He'll delude the minds of mankind by the deceitfulness of sin. And finally, he deludes the mind of mankind by the deceitfulness of unrighteousness. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This particular passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is refers to and it points to a day in the future. It's dealing with a day when the man of sin, the Antichrist, will be exposed and he'll be revealed. One of the things that it appears in Scripture, that in scripture it appears to us that the man of sin, the Antichrist, will not really be known until after the rapture of the church. That we're not really going to be aware of who it is until after we've already been taken out. That's why it was so funny, you know, when uh, President Obama took over, people said, oh, is he the Antichrist? Some kind of stupid stuff. I mean, get, people, are they out of their minds or what? You know, I mean, some of the stuff we come up with as Christians, when we have the Bible to help us, how in the world do we, how do you, first of all, you'll never know that until we're gone anyway. And, uh, you know, at least from the scriptures, but some of the stuff we come up with is amazing. Uh, again, we realize that things like Armageddon, when does Armageddon take place? When the Lord returns. So why are we worried about it today? Why would any Christian be worried about Armageddon? Because we won't even be here uh, long before it ever happens. And when it does happen, we'll be with him and we'll be on the winning side. It's just stuff like that is amazing to me. We, we, we really need to know our Bibles a little better, and it would really help to put a lot of fears that Christians have to rest. And uh, in this case, watch what happens. Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Boy, when the Antichrist shows up, and, and when he comes on the scene... The Bible says and very clearly speaks of the fact that he's going to come after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. When the Lord Jesus Christ showed up on earth, when he came the first time, we know that he came with all power of God the Father. And boy, he did all signs and, and wonders. I mean, it was amazing what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And may I say, he did it to prove his deity. He did it to prove that he was who he claimed to be. He did it as a sign to the Jew. Now, the fact is, is that when the, the Antichrist shows up on the scene then, he's going to come after the working of his father, Satan. It'll be Satan incarnate anyway, just like Jesus was God incarnate. And he'll come with all power and signs, and in this case, lying wonders. 
Why would it be lying wonders? Because Satan is the father of all lies. He can do nothing but lie in that regard. He'll wrap a lot of truth around the lie, but he'll get the lie out no matter what. Because that's what he's all about, lies. If there's any truth to what he has to say, it's only so that he can ultimately share a lie. <laughs> or deceive somehow, some way. That's all he's about. You can't trust a word he says. Not one word. If he told me gas prices were going to go up tomorrow, I would just have to say, I can't trust you, even though you're probably right. In this particular passage again, it addresses the Antichrist, and it addresses his rule during the tribulation period. Now, he's going to deceive, as we said, with all power and signs and lying wonders. And so he's going to perform miracles and he's going to perform those miracles to convince the world that he should be worshipped. Man, there is something unusual about this guy. There's something unique and strange, and he is just mysterious. And wow, look at what he can do. He's got to be superhuman. He's not like the rest of us. He's unbelievable. Oh, man, he's... Whatever you say, whatever you say, Boy, they're going to eventually bow to him even. They'll worship him. Note verse 10. It says, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. There's our phrase, deceivableness of unrighteousness. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonder and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Again, the passage is addressing this, the Antichrist here, as we mentioned already. And we're going to learn here that basically when a person rejects truth, they are going to accept a lie. That's as simple as it is. When you and I reject the truth, we will believe a lie. It, there's, that's no, there's no question. It's that simple. Someone says, well, I just don't agree with that. Is it truth? Yeah, but I just don't like, I mean, it's just, I, if you don't accept the truth, you will believe a lie. It is that simple. It's not complicated. Now, again, I, I know, you know people can try to make things complicated, but in this case, it's pretty simple. And I believe sincerely that we see this truth expressed in this passage. Unrighteousness is supported by lies. It always is. And this is evidenced by the fact that mankind continues to justify his actions, even though, even when he knows his actions violate God's words. Unrighteousness is deceptive. It's the deceitfulness of unrighteousness. When we are responding in an unrighteous fashion, we are deceived ourselves. We are so deceived that we even justify our very actions before a holy God. Believers themselves can walk in, 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 in another direction other than the word of God and somehow land on their feet saying, I am right with God. That, the deceivableness of unrighteousness. It's unbelievable. And we are prone to falling for it as human beings, all of us. So deceptive. 
It is deceptive, this unrighteousness, and it's damning. We have to be so careful. And so mankind is truly deceived. That's all there is to it. You know, we can try to debate and argue the fact as to how deceived or how, you know, uh, uh, misguided we may be, but honestly, uh, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad, isn't it? Now, the devil's good about this, and so is our culture and society, but he likes to point to advancements in science, and that's what mankind does then. Because remember, you're either the child of God or you're a child of Satan, and so uh, his children have a tendency to point to advancements in science and technology and innovation as reasons why the world is becoming a better and better place. It's getting better all the time. We're evolving, aren't we? I mean, look at man. We now have a vaccine that has been FDA approved in under a year for the first time ever in the history of mankind. Look how wonderful it is. It's amazing, the advancements of mankind. Now listen, all I'm saying is this. If you noted the spot of facetiousness in my voice, it was there. But the fact is, is that, is that that's how mankind functions. Look at, we're getting better. We're actually going in the right direction. We're becoming more evolved in our processes, in our thinking. We're smarter in this generation than we've ever been. Really? I think we could debate that just even in the headlines these weeks. He points to the many people that donate uh, millions of dollars funding colleges and libraries and hospitals. People that give to charities left and right. And we say, look at mankind is inherently good. Mankind is really not so bad after all. And yet, all the while, forgetting that these things only address the physical side of a person have little to do with the moral character or spiritual health of a person. Our main thought today, let's be honest, I mean, it seems that this prevailing in our culture and even amongst our own young people today, less work and more leisure. That seems to be the theme of these advancements. I mean, everything that we have through these last 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, even 100 years, everything that's been created is supposedly to help free us up and give us more time and more leisure. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be finding. And yet mankind grows ever more burdened down and depressed. It's a crazy thing. We've invented so many time-saving devices, and yet... We're all the more busy, overwhelmed, and stressed out. How's that possible? It's deceivableness of Satan. Satan's a deceiver. Man, if you can only, uh, you know, innovate, and if you can only create, and you can only get more intelligent, you can work smarter, not harder, and everything will be better, and look, we're evolving, and we're going in the right direction. Really? Even as believers, it's easy to overlook the fact that in spite of all the advancements of civilization, the world, and I read this somewhere, the world sits on the mouth of a volcano whose interior is nothing more than social unrest and commercial rottenness. Sounds about right. And the only real hope that you and I have today, and the only hope that the world has, is found in Jesus Christ, who is the truth. The truth. The Bible says the truth will make you free. Because what does sin do? It besets us. It binds us. It holds us back. 
And so truth sets us free. That's a wonderful thing about truth. You know, sometimes truth is a hard pill to swallow. And it may not be easy to swallow, but it'll make you free. It's when we're trying to, you know, you know the old adage again, you know, well, you know, I just, I didn't tell them the truth because I wanted to spare their feelings. So we just handed over bondage. Let me tell you something, be careful with sparing feelings. You may want to tell the truth. Because in the end, that's the only thing that will make you free. You'll be bound. And you'll be bound by your own lies. Don't get caught up in that. Don't put yourself in a position necessarily where you have to even think about telling a lie. Don't do it. Be careful. Satan's all about lies. You don't want to follow in his footsteps. No, you don't. Neither do I. All right, so we said already that Satan... He's, he's about, how, I mean, how's he going to accomplish these goals? How's he ultimately going to bring the world to its knees? How's he going to deceive them to the point where they would even worship him? Well, we know knowledge. He uses knowledge. He, he uses deception. But you know what else he uses? He uses distraction. He uses distraction. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. This is a familiar passage, and as I begin to read it, and as you see it in the Bible, you'll go, oh man, I know this one, and you may even know it by heart. You may have already memorized it even. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be sober, be vigilant, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant. That word sober isn't about not drinking at that point. That's talking about being sober-minded, uh, you know, um, serious-minded. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with having fun and laughing and joking and having a good time, but there's a time and a place for everything. And his point being is be sober, be vigilant. Don't, you know, don't be a good, good time Charlie, we used to call him years ago. You know, just going about, doing whatever you want, having a good old time all the time. Man, there's some serious things going on in the world. And as a believer, we need to be sober and vigilant. Why? Because we are being hunted down. He said, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Satan, he attacked the early church mercilessly. He sought to discourage, he sought to devour them. He roared and he struck fear in their hearts and he devoured them through persecution. But Peter, in the book of 1 Peter, even the book that we're reading now, he reminds the believers of their plight and he's saying, your plight is not strange. Your plight is not unusual. Your plight is normal. What do you mean? Uh, The persecution. Look, if you would, in 1 Peter 4.12. Notice what he says to these believers. The Christians that he's referring to and speaking to in the book of 1 Peter chapter uh, 5 is, are, are people who were indeed aware that, that the devil was roaring and that he was seeking to devour. And he says to them in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. He goes, listen, uh, don't think it's so strange that you're enduring and going through these fiery trials. Matter of fact, they're there for a purpose. They're going to try you. They're ultimately going to temper you. But don't think somehow that they're strange. They're normal. 
And that's exactly what it is with us, you and I. We, we are living in a day where we're starting to hear the lion roar a little. And it's scaring the life out of believers. Let me tell you what, I, I don't have a problem with that. Listen, I, I tell you, when you hear a noise you're not used to, it's scary. Can I tell you, in America, we have not heard a voice like we're hearing today in my lifetime. I mean, the potential for devour, devouring, it's there, starting to finally raise its ugly head a little bit. We have, we have basked in safety in America. We have been top dogs. And, and as far as I'm certain, we still are. I just wish our president would admit it. You heard me right. I wish he'd admit for a change that America is the best country in the world. This idea that everybody's on equal ground, they're crazy. They need America, and we aren't stepping up. Sad, isn't it? It's pitiful. But anyway, you say, I didn't come for politics. Well, you got some. If that's what you call that. But I'll tell you what that's called. That's called being American and being proud of it. And I'm still proud to be an American, my friend, even though I'm a Christian first. I get it all. Don't tell me what the Bible says. I know what it says. But I'm glad to be an American. I'll tell you that. When I travel overseas, I'm glad I come home to America. When I got stuck over in the Philippines and thought we couldn't get back home, I could have kissed the ground when we got into L.A. I was glad to get back home. You can go ahead and keep the rest of the world. I'll stay in America. And if I'm going to go preach somewhere around the world, I'm glad I always got America to come back to. I'm glad. But I'm a Christian, and I'm a Christian first. I understand I'm a citizen of heaven, but I am a citizen of the United States too. I'm glad to be one. Proud of it, actually. So anyway, maybe you're not. That's your business. First Peter chapter 4, because I'm not really getting much feedback here. But First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 he says, don't think it's so strange. Look at what the church endured in those days. Turn if you would to Acts chapter 4, verse 1. You talk about a roaring lion. You talk about a, 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 an adversary that was seeking to devour. And you had it there. It's amazing when you consider what they endured in the New Testament early on. It says, verse, chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, and as they spake unto the people, we've got Peter out there preaching and John and those guys. And he says, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. I'm just going to say it. It's a Wednesday night crowd, and, and, and I, I think we can handle it. But there came a point, they weren't allowed to preach it. And they threatened to shut them down. Don't be so surprised if that doesn't start happening in America soon in our churches. We saw, we saw a little bit of it during COVID and we all got a little nervous. But let me tell you something, it won't be so nice in the future if we're not careful. You better let your voice be heard now. You better be calling some people, senators and congressmen, letting people know that you want to fight for religious freedoms that you believe they belong and that nobody should be allowed to strip us of them. Amen. Because if we don't speak now, we may not get a chance to speak until we're in a court somewhere. And that's kind of late to have to deal with that mess. So anyway, in this particular case, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead, they were grieved, huh? 
Yep. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now even time. So basically they took them in, basically threw them in lockdown, said, you ain't going anywhere, you're our prisoner, so to speak. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Verses 18, 17 through 18. I mean, we're going to see that it's not uncommon here in the early church for people to be cast into prison. Then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. They were sad because they didn't believe in the resurrection, you see. That's what my teachers used to say to me. That's how I remember that. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They were sad, you see. See, you get it? Okay, so there you go. See, see you, you didn't have to pay all that money to get a college, Bible college education. I just gave it to you right there. Free, free of charge. All right? That's what you learn in Bible college. Isn't that amazing for all that money? But anyway, then the high priest, ro- uh, priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. And it's thrown them in prison. Acts chapter 5, verse 40. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they beat them. They didn't kill them. Okay, that was nice of them. But they beat them, and then they turned around and said, you can't speak like that anymore. Don't you speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. Weren't they kind? Acts chapter 8, verse 1. We see now Saul, the, uh, it says here in Acts chapter 8, remember what happened, Stephen is going to be martyred in chapter 7 of the book of Acts. And in chapter 8 now we see, and Saul was consenting unto his death. We know that Saul, it appears, was the young man that held the garments and so forth. That's the implication. And now we have here Saul at this point consenting unto his death, saying, you know what, he deserved to die. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. How did those souls or or, or saints in 1 Peter get where they were? Because of this this persecution. Ultimately, Christians are being scattered everywhere, and they're preaching and teaching the gospel. Now Gentiles are being saved as well, along with these these Jews. And man, I'm going to tell you what, they're... They're, they're, they're being hunted down. They're being tracked down. They're being scattered throughout all the regions. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Bible goes on here in this particular passage. It says, Now about the time of Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. So again, we've got this persecution taking place. We see it in the early church. Into Acts chapter 12 now, we got Herod the king. He's stretching forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. So here he is now. He successfully uh, martyrs or kills the brother of uh, John, James. And, and man, it seems that the Jews are happy about that. And since he's got the Jews on his side now, and it seems the multitude of people are more for him than against him, he says, let's just go after Peter too then. That's kind of scary, isn't it, when you think about that? So all it takes is a consensus to destroy the Christian, and our government will say, let's take care of him. You say, you are negative nanny tonight. I'm just trying to read some handwriting on the wall, my friend. I'm telling you, the next 20 years, life will never be like it is today. And today is nothing like it was just a year and a half ago. 
It's amazing what I'm seeing take place. It's amazing. I don't know about you. And by the way, last time I checked, Donald Trump is not the Savior. Okay, last time I checked, he isn't. And there's not going to be any presence the Savior. And this is a spiritual war we're finding ourselves in. And we better understand that as believers, we're going to need to yoke together. We're going to need to be together and be encouraging one another because I'm telling you, things like this could possibly begin at some point in, in the future. Who knows when? My lifetime, maybe. The lifetime of my children, more than likely. Or maybe after that, for sure, I would imagine. But one way or the other, things aren't going to always be peaches and cream, bed of roses. It's not going to be like that. We have been so blessed in America. We have eaten the fat and, how does he put it, that we've, we've eaten the fat and something to sweet. Anyway, uh, man, it's good. You know what I mean? We've been blessed. And so here we see in the early church, we've got this roaring lion. In the early church, we have Satan who was devouring. Now, in James chapter 1, he's writing now to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Again, there was persecution taking place. Now, here's the interesting thing, and here's how it went down. Now, again, it feels to me, and, and this is just a feeling, I can't say for sure, but it feels like we're, we might step back into that realm a little bit at some point in the future. But it's interesting what the devil did, though. And this is funny to me. Um, it's not funny, but it's interesting. Despite the vicious attacks, okay, and I mean, he went after the Christian mercilessly, even though... He sought to extinguish the believer and their faith. They just got stronger and stronger. They grew and they grew and they grew. It was amazing. You would think that sooner or later the Christian would just throw his hands in the air and say, I quit, I give up, I can't handle this. It's impossible. I just married this man and now he's dead and I'm on my own and I've got a kid. I can't continue to follow Christ. There's no way I could do that. Or a father who loses his children and his wife to persecution and he says, we've been separated for years. I've not seen her in years. I've been on my own in a, maybe, maybe he's been in a camp or maybe the, she's been put into some kind of work camp or maybe they've been just in prison. I'm just telling you, I don't know how people like that keep going. But we've never been there, so we can't even wrap our minds around that. But they did. And the Holy Spirit of God gave them the ability and the power and the, the strength to keep going and to claim Jesus Christ, no matter the price. And the devil, man, I mean, when he, the God of this world, discovered that he couldn't stamp out the church by persecution, he changed his tactics. Well, what did he do? He sought to neutralize the church's efforts by seduction now. We saw this take place in 325 A.D. when Constantine created a church state. I mean, what we saw was that he, he removed the bullseye that was once on all Christian leadership. And he began to promote them, so to speak. And he promoted them, if you will, in the eyes of Rome. They were afforded respect and honor. They were placed in prominent positions. They were supported financially in some cases. They were provided, I mean, they, they, they were given churches and actual buildings, and they were, they were entrusted with people and, and, and given the ability and the finances to accomplish the job. Constantine had given them all of these things. We'll no longer persecute you anymore as a believer. As a matter of fact, we'll elevate you, and we'll place you in a position of prominence, and we'll make you a Somebody. And man, pastors were like, wow, this is awesome. 
but it came with a price. They simply had to dismiss some of their long-held beliefs and integrate pagan practices into their churches. That's all. I mean, Bible standards were compromised in order to make all feel welcome and comfortable. You've got to understand that pagan Rome now had, had switched. I mean, under Constantine, he decided, we're, I'm going to be the Christian emperor. I, I'm going to lead Rome into Christianity. And, but his Christianity wasn't quite like the Bible Christianity. And so he started incorporating and trying to integrate paganism into the church. Boy, was it a mess. Ultimately, the result would be the Catholic Church. I can only imagine that a number of the preachers in those days either justified or tried to justify their compromise by convincing themselves of the potential impact that they could have on their culture by having some of those, I mean, by converting pagans. I mean, to have literally pagans sitting under my preaching on a regular basis and consistently in the Word of God. What an impact I could make. Okay, so I have to give a little here and I have to take a little there. But man, think about the potential I wonder if they didn't think that. So we have to give up a little here and there. I mean, unbelievable. The pool of converts that, that, that we have at our disposal is amazing. The opportunities we'll have to influence them, it's worth it all. Sadly enough, we have seen and heard that song and dance before too. So they offered peace. Constantine offered peace. He offered prominence. He offered them prosperity. He offered them potential in order to compromise. And many were successfully seduced. Boy, Satan is more subtle than any creature. He's very subtle. And so Satan realized that devouring the church wasn't going to work. And so he switched to seduction. Today his method is to divert the church's efforts from evangelism, evangelizing the world, mind you, to social betterment. It's all an attempt to make the world a better place to live in, of course. And that's a good cause, don't misunderstand me. But the devil is really a master at getting the church to focus on the good instead of the best. And again, he, he has for years, at least in America, has had hands off. And we have had opportunity after opportunity to minister without fear of repercussion. But can I tell you, that may eventually end for us to a degree or another. But for sure, seduction has been at play. And it's been focused on our churches throughout these last hundred years, for sure. What a mess. As the pillar and the ground of the truth, the Bible says we are. We can't forget that the natural man in the world cannot possibly be spiritually saved by our culture. Can't happen. Therefore, any effort that, that, that we would put forth to save the world by social betterment, that's a futile effort. You can't make our culture, our society better and save souls. It doesn't work. I don't care how much you invest. It will never change the soul. 
See, there's no hope for man's soul in the betterment of civilization. There's no escape from the bondage of sin through social reconstruction. There's no salvation in higher education or modern innovation. It does not exist. And the common opinion is that all the ills of society are in men's surroundings. It's in the environment. But let me tell you, the truth is it's in the man himself. That's the real problem. So man has to be regenerated first. The Bible says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The washing of regeneration. All the efforts and devices of men to make the world a better place to live in only make the world a better place to sin in. Because they better facilitate sin. I mean, all this advancement to save time has only given us time to sin more. I mean, everything, it's just, you know, it's not coincidental. It's not by chance that things happen the way they do. The God of this world, he knows that if the church was exclusively given to the work of world evangelism, I mean, exclusively given to it, he would lose her service in building his great society. Hey, there's no question that the church is supposed to be about winning souls. We know that. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen? But you know what? Like the Israelites in bondage. We saw this in Sunday school a few weeks ago. Like the Israelites in bondage who were kept busy making bricks without straw, we cannot be distracted by the satanic society we live in. Much of what the church today has prioritized is nothing more than making bricks without straw. Satan continues to get us to be busy about the work of the ministry, failing to even do the ministry. Can you imagine what the impact of the church would be if everybody professing Christ focused their time, their talents, and treasure on reaching the world with the gospel. Can you imagine if we really focused our time, our energy, and our talents on that? So we have to be very careful not to neglect this, the winning of souls in order to correct the injustices of a hopelessly corrupt system. And listen, I am all about fixing problems. I'm a, I, I want to be a problem solver. I try to be. Man, I tell you what, I think I could fix a lot of the problems that we find in our culture if given the resources. And I think if I could sit you down, you might be able to give me ways to fix our culture with the, with the proper resources. It certainly wouldn't be from the direction that our world is trying to correct them, but we would take this book and understand what we're going to have to put in place in order for it to function properly. And it would work because the Word of God is always right. And it always works if it's worked. We don't need more studies. We need more studying in the Word of God. Can you imagine trying to, we did this, by the way, with our track hoe or bobcat or whatever you want to call it. Can you imagine cleaning a grease fitting that's leaking? 
grease fitting something, you squirt grease into it to kind of lube it all up. There's a little bit of a, a little knob at the end. You put that grease gun on the end, you squeeze it in. But if that, there's a leak in that fitting, it'll come back, oozing back out on you. You're trying to clean that thing off. So you get a rag and you, you wipe it down, you clean it up. And, and, and usually there's a lot of dirt around the edges and stuff because it's been sitting for a while. It's probably dusty and dirty. And man, it's kind of nasty. You clean it up and it looks good for a second. And all of a sudden you look back and there's that grease. It's just like it never goes away. And you smear it all over. And if you're not careful, you touch it and it gets on your hands and you're like, oh, that's disgusting. No matter how many times you wipe it off, it just keeps getting greasy, keeps getting dirty. You know what you got to do? You got to fix the fitting. It's the only way. You, you got to address the root problem. If you don't address the root problem, you're going to keep getting this grease oozing back out. You know what? We're trying to fix our world without really dealing with the root problems. I want to encourage you. Not to let that happen in your life, your marriage, your home, your family. Deal with the root problems. Let the Word of God be your guide, so to speak. Don't let Jiminy Cricket be your guide. Some of you know who I'm talking about. He's big time back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Jiminy was awesome. Him and Pinocchio with that long nose. Those guys could tear it up. (laughs) But honestly... Be careful. The only way to correct or cure our culture is by winning one soul at a time. Let's be about the work of God. Let's be about winning others. The devil's good at deception. The devil's good at at creating these issues and these problems. We think about not only deception, but as we mentioned just a moment ago, distraction. How sad would it be to think we get to heaven and we've spent all of our time, or at least a big bulk of it or a lot of it, Dealing with things that really don't matter that much, in eternity at least. Boy, we need to make sure that our focus is eternal and that we're investing in eternity every day. Let's make sure that we're seeking souls and trying to win people to Christ. And in doing so, we can better our world. What America needs is a revival today. It needs a revival of God and the Word of God in it. And somebody says, that just won't happen the, 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 the handwriting's on the wall. The prophecies are all in. It's too late for America. Well, you know what? I, you can believe how you want, but I just don't think I want to keep going if there's no hope. I just believe there's still hope. I believe God's still big enough. Now, whether it happens or not, I don't know. But you know what? Honestly, if there's something in there that says America can never have revival, there's a part of me that wouldn't want to know it if I could know it. Because the last thing I want to do is be discouraged from telling others about Jesus. Because that's the only hope they have. And by the way, I've never seen anything that says we're done yet until we're done. As far as I'm concerned, there's still hope in America. Let's just keep preaching and teaching it and let's live our lives like Jesus would have us to. Father, we come to you.